upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go, or what? This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't beat beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that, and every kid, I, they knew they could kick the shit out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two men. Watching here very carefully now. Again, he headbutts Brody, and Brody is almost silly paralyzed. Roberts may have loaded that headgear. It's like the old story of the boxers who used to put concrete in their gloves. Roberts was doing something with his headgear when Hayes had Brody chase him around the ring. Oh, now Buddy Roberts is back and on target. And Brody is trying to recover. And Brody is like a fish on a hook right now. He's thrashing about, but not being able to get himself squared away, not clear the cobwebs yet. And Roberts is trying to take advantage of it and do a pretty good job. You can't really do much to Bruiser Bagging away on the chest, and now Bruiser's back with the kicks. And Roberts is in trouble again. And Bruiser goes in to try to take that headgear off. And he's working on it, and working on it, but not quite. Buddy Roberts, to his credit, there's the Bulldog, and he missed it. And there goes the wig. It was a wig. Bulldog by Buddy Roberts. He slid off and Bruiser Buddy reached out and pulled out the wig. So Brody has $500 a wig in his hand. As Roberts is gone and Brody is the winner. There it is, the wig. Hello and welcome to another TMPT flagship interview show i am jp john paz and this is a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire today we welcome in barbara goodish the former wife and widow of the legendary wrestling's last rebel the absolute legend of the business the absolute icon of the business bruiser brody and today with barbara we talk all about the history and career of one bruiser brody we go into a lot of different topics and as you'll hear on the interview 
We talk about a Bruiser Brody Cup 2, which obviously was delayed due to the coronavirus. So stay tuned to the two-man power trip of wrestling social media platforms. And you could see when and where the restart-up or the new date or the reboot, if you will, of Bruiser Brody Cup 2 will take place because they are currently rescheduling that for either later on in the summer or very early in the fall. So if you hear something about Bruiser Brody Cup 2... Just be patient as that will be headed to you very, very soon. And if you want, check out Gimmick Tree and check out GoPro Wrestling for Bruiser Brody Cup 1, which was won by the one and only Tommy Dreamer. We talk about that in this interview as well. Of course, we go through a lot of different topics with Brody, getting to know Brody, marrying Brody, Brody as a husband, Brody as a father. Things that a lot of people may not know about him, some misconceptions, uh, what's his legacy, what is his place in history, what about his time in Puerto Rico, and we kind of get into a little bit of that, some little little bit of controversy, but not too much, because that's out there everywhere, and you heard it a million times, you don't want to kind of, you know, really harp on that too much, but we do go into Puerto Rico a little bit, obviously we go a lot into Japan and the wrestling territories here in the United States as well. We kind of go through some of his really good buddies and, and really good friends in the business, like Abdul the Butcher and Stan Hansen. And we talk about varying different uh, gimmicks and characters that he kind of went through. Not so much of all the different characters, but kind of going from King Kong Brody, Brody to Bruiser Brody and really creating that character and really perfecting that character and how that character wasn't the same Frank Goodish that she knew at home it was just a character just a gimmick and how really smart he was and how good of a businessman he was and really really kind of go into his whole career but not only that we go into his life and kind of behind the scenes as well which is really really cool i think you're really going to enjoy this interview a lot it was a lot of fun to conduct it was great to finally to be able to get her on and talk about this because bruiser brody is one of the most talked about guys in the business but think about it his death was in 1988, so if you want to go all the way back and, and you think like, wow, that was uh, you know, 35 years ago or 32 years ago, whatever it was, I mean, it, you just think like they're still talking about him today. He still has a huge impact in wrestling today. You still hear a lot of wrestlers say that was their favorite wrestler. Or when they study somebody, they study Bruiser Brody. He's such a great brawler, but he's also a great wrestler. He also managed the art of the really really kind of kind of taking that character and really really mastering the art of intimidation and really kind of making you think like okay this guy's fake this guy's fake that guy's bullshit but bruiser brody he is real he's 100 percent real and that was really kind of cool to delve into and, and to really talk about him with somebody that knew him the best and somebody that was closest to him and that obviously was his wife barbara who we talked to in this interview at great length so really really got a good amount of time talking about all things Bruiser Brody as well. Very, very cool stuff. And like I said, please stay forward and stay tuned to our social media platforms. We'll give you some new information on Bruiser Brody Cup 2 presented by Gimmick Tree and will should be available on GoPro Wrestling as well. Also, I just have to say, check out Gimmick Tree at Gimmick Tree on Twitter. Also, check them out on Facebook. Obviously, just Gimmick Tree Entertainment. And please also check out Modern Vintage Wrestling, where the tournament is actually held. So technically, Gimmick Tree is the owner of Modern Vintage Wrestling, but it's it's one of the same. So if you see something for Modern Vintage Wrestling, it is Gimmick Tree and, and vice versa. So it, it'll be the Modern Vintage Wrestling Bruiser Brody Cup, but I'm sure you'll see a lot of the Gimmick Tree gimmicks, if you will, all over the place as well. Now also, Touching on the TMPT Empire just for a minute before I send it off to the interview. Gotta say, a lot of big things are happening in the two-man power trip. Dutch Mantels, University of Dutch, on the MLW Radio Network. Got the franchise, Shane Douglas, his triple threat podcast, which is available on the Russo brand. We also have Rick Passman's Talking Tough, which is available on Podcast One. And then, of course, we have Dr. Tom Pritchard, which is on our platform, TMPT Automatic page. The Empire is Dr. Tom Pritchard taking you to school. So we have so much going on. We're going to have a lot of new stuff coming down the pipeline. Going to have a lot of 
new interviews coming out, a lot of rare interviews, a lot of shocking interviews, some really, really big names throughout the business, and even some huge stars outside of wrestling. So it's going to be really cool. So stay tuned and really keep up and follow the TMPT empire. So right now I'm going to send it over and do some TMPT business. And then after that, send it over to the interview with Bruiser Brody's wife, Barbara Goodish. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Raslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk. Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, and Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit JJ Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. Now, without any further ado, the former wife of pro wrestling's last rebel, the widow of the legendary Bruiser Brody, she is Barbara Goodish. Please enjoy. Legend, 
Bruiser Brody at Barbara Goodish. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. And, of course, today we'll be talking about the Bruiser Brody Cup. This is actually the second annual Bruiser Brody Cup coming up in Rome, Georgia on April 25th. It's going to be a huge, huge show. Uh, it's in, be in conjunction with the Superstar Wrestling Fan Fest that's also going on that day. Modern Vintage Wrestling, Gimmick Tree, always does it big and always does it great. It's always going to be a great show. But what are your thoughts on the second annual Bruiser Brody Cup coming to Rome, Georgia? Well, as you know, this is the second year of the Brody Cup. The first one we was uh, held in uh, Philadelphia. And, you know, they did such a great job of it. So I know that this year will obviously be a lot bigger, especially as you said, it's in conjunction with the Superstar Fan Fest. So I know that it should be a huge event. So I'm hoping, uh, you know, we have a lot of people. And you know there's with the uh, wrestling match, the Bruiser Brody Cup 2, it's uh, about time 7.30. We'd love everybody to come down. And this is pretty cool. I mean, just that they're bringing the, the legacy of Bruiser Brody and, and fans still remember him and still acknowledge him. But I love that modern vintage wrestling is bringing back the Brosey, Bru, excuse me, Bruiser Brody Cup. And I love that they had the first one. Such a cool thing. And I just love keeping the tradition and, and an absolute legend like Bruiser Brody. Do you just love that, that you know, he's still remembered and, and that they're putting on shows like this after all these years? You know, it's absolutely amazing as it's been 31 years. And for him to be more famous today as what he was 31 years ago, because as you know, there was no technology back in those days. And there wasn't people who couldn't just turn on a YouTube or couldn't turn on TV or had a phone that you walked around with. And it's just bought all these old tapes that were done so long ago has introduced them to a whole section of new fans. And it's amazing that some of them... I'll go to some of these events and I'll have I'll have people come up to me and I was at the CAC, it was the Cali Alley Club in uh, Las Vegas. They have it every year down there. And I, I was standing there and this young gentleman came up who's also a young wrestler who was wrestling at the CAC and he asked me, he said, uh, you know, I've read your book, I've watched all the YouTube, uh, you know, of your late husband. And he just kept on, and I and I looked at him, and I said to him, well, how old are you? He said he was 29 years old. He was not even born when everything, you know, when mm-hmm. when uh, passed. And and I have people that come up to me that have tattoos, younger people that, younger than, you know, that didn't even know. And it's just the legacy that he has left with all those wonderful fans that are out there that the family is so grateful, you know, for keeping the memory alive. Yeah, it is crazy that he is more popular now than ever. I mean, you mentioned the book, the DVDs, even Viceland had the uh, the one-hour episode dedicated to Bruiser Brody. I mean, it's just, it's truly, it is, like you said, it's remarkable. He's more famous or more popular now. Are you ever like surprised but you know Viceland comes around and they're doing an episode is that any of this surprise you or did everything continues to surprise you everything continues to surprise me you know and when Charlie gimmick tree Charlie Armstrong Hartman when he came and approached me I'd met him in Vegas also I sat at the table with him and Bill after one year and then he approached me and told me about this Brody Cup and said we would like to bring you up and you know to present the trophy and I went was just I just feel like you know it's unbelievable that they asked me to go to all these different events and the people that I meet and the fans that I meet and I I love talking to them and I love spending time because a lot of them that that knew him have stories about him, the older ones, the younger ones, just tell me about the YouTube. That, and it's like, this is how, I think it's because of the old style wrestling. It's a whole lot, as you know, it's different today than what it was back in those days. And it was, oh, well, you know, tell them it's pretty hard. It was pretty hardcore back in those days. And the first Brody Cup, when I was in Philadelphia, 
I had Abdullah the Butcher was there, Stan Hansen was there, and you talk about a couple of uh, hardcore wrestlers from the old days too. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And even going even further into that, obviously he is old school, but not as old school as Hansen and, and, and Abdullah the Butcher, but Tommy Dreamer was the first winner. And I mean, it's absolute perfect winner if you want to go hardcore. I mean, he'd be the king of hardcore, or the, the newer king of hardcore, Tommy Dreamer. Correct, because as you know, everything wrestling has definitely changed over the uh, decades that it, it's, a, it's a whole different now than what it was back then. You know, we had, there was big, I mean, it was hardcore, as you just said. And he was hardcore, meaning uh, Bruiser Brody was hardcore before hardcore was even hardcore, before it was even a word or a phrase or a catchphrase, right? Right. That was, as I said, it's funny how things have changed, as we talked about, how things have changed over the year. Well, and a lot of different things that people now are going back to the old-style wrestling. And now we have uh, some of the other organizations that are starting, you know, the smaller ones are starting to go into the more the old-style wrestling. I go, to, I go to a show every May in a little town outside uh, St. Louis, and it's the same thing. It's just like old-style wrestling. It's, it's like it was in the old days. Kennedy, the good old days. I think a lot of people refer to it as that old-school style, and, and I think a lot of people miss that style. I, as like I said, we're talking to these younger people that I meet on some of my um, some of my appearances that they they just love it, and a lot of them are getting into the wrestling and they're trying to do the style of the old days. They're trying to change the style, which is, you know, what is old always becomes new again. That is so true, and and I just I love kind of that that era. I mean, that that was the best. But kind of going back, how did you actually meet Bruiser Brody? I, I mean, that's, we're going back a long ways. We're going back, I guess, probably into the seventies now. But how did you actually meet him? Well, I I met him. I was working working over there from Australia, and they're working there, and I just happened to be working in the hotel. They were over there. Uh, I think Vince McMahon, and not Vince McMahon, I think it was the first Von Eric, were putting some of the people over in Australia. They were doing Australia and New Zealand. A lot of them were doing, you know, uh, tours over there. And I just happened to be working the front desk um, the night that he checked in. But like I said, it was just very friendly because, as I said, it was just one of those one of those things that sometimes happen. You, you know, when you become friends, it's a, a relationship as a friend is much better than a date. So it was really just long-time friendship first. And how does he court you? Like, how does he actually, you know, you meet him, you're friends, but how does that become a blossoming relationship? Sometimes friendships just turn into uh, something different and just natural. You know, you meet you meet people that it's very natural to be with. I'm sure you've had that too, I mm-hmm. think, maybe. Yep. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. There's no thought. There's no pressure. There's no stress. There's no, it's just very natural. And then, of course, when he uh, decided to come back over here, he wanted me to come back with him. So that's how I, you know, I ended up over here from Australia. Did you know who he was? Like, were you a fan at all? Were you familiar with who he was? Of course not. I had no idea of the of wrestling. We in the hotel there were a lot of the wrestlers that would stay in this hotel that I was I was uh, working in, and I still have friends today. That I met, and this is you're going back 40 plus 40 years ago. So JJ uh, uh, Dillon, he's mm-hmm. a, he's still a good friend of mine today, and I know Charlie knows JJ too. They they do a lot. Uh, and if you know Tony Guerrero, and another one, I I met so many of the different ones. Um, Andre the Giant was there, Killer Carl Crop. I could go on. So a lot of these were the ones that were touring Australia and New Zealand at that time. And it's really nice to go back and still have friends from that time. Yeah, definitely. So when you actually do get married to Frank and and Bruiser Brody in the early 70s, what's it like being married to Bruiser Brody? Well, I I stayed home because I never really went to any of the wrestling matches or anything. I, very much, as I said, stayed uh, you know, stayed at home, and then of course we had a son, and I was mum. I looked, I looked after the home son, and he traveled the world. Hmm. So to speak. So, uh, in a way, it was different because you 
don't get to see them very often. It's a, you know, it's a working, kind of a working relationship. You're looking after the home front, and they're, they're working, so to speak. So, and it's not an easy life. I know anybody that has that kind of lifestyle, nobody can tell you that it's an easy life because you have to be very resilient to uh, live that kind of lifestyle because you have to do everything yourself. So what was it like as far as him being a family man? Was he bruiser at home or was he frank at home? I mean, was he completely different? Because everyone thinks of him like, oh, he's a wild man, he's a crazy man. Yeah. They think of that character, you know what I mean, when they think about Bruiser Brody? No, he never lost sight of who he was. He was never, when he was home, he was never the character that he had created, which was Bruiser Brody or King Kong Brody, you know. So when he came home, he was just, a dad, a husband, friend to people. There was, you know, he learned not to become the character he created, which I think a lot of people get into trouble because they believe they are the character they created. They can't distinguish the difference. Whereas mm. he always, he always kept, the, you know what I mean? He always kept it, you know, separated. There was never going in one or the other. It was totally on the road, he was this character, at home, he was just himself. And maybe that's why he was uh, he was successful at, at that time. Oh, whew, big time successful. Was it tough? You said, you know, he's traveling so much, and obviously he's doing a lot of tours of Japan and things like that, which is probably weeks or maybe even months at a time. Was that tough on family life, the fact that he traveled so much and the fact that he was so popular, he would get booked so often? Yes, yes, I, I have to say, but I think that uh, when you find a special person that understands going into it, because he'd always said it's not going to be an easy life, you know, I can't, you know, it's not going to be easy, but I will make sure I'll always look after you. And no, it, it wasn't easy, I'm not going to sit here and say it was easy, because, you know, you put it all together. And it probably was no more than maybe three months a year that you were actually together as a as a couple. So the time, wow. you know, you didn't spend that much time, especially with the Japan tours, because they were sometimes they were back to back, and that could be as long as six weeks. Come back and then, uh, you know what I mean, go um, back on the road again. But you know, in life, you manage you you. You work together, and that's how you get in anything in life to be successful. You work together, whether it's a job or a relationship or children. You you learn to accept each other. Now, Jeff, your son, he never wanted to get into wrestling. He never wanted to become a wrestler or anything like that. He just, you know, mm. some some want to get into it. He never had any aspirations of getting into wrestling. I think because he lost his father at such a young age, and he hmm. just, yeah, he, yeah, I, I, I guess about it as much as I, I can say is right. he probably kind of blamed it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I could definitely see that. And I don't want to get into too much. I mean, no. the, the tragedy and the story, I mean, that's just, that's out there. I think everybody knows everything. Did you ever actually think about lawsuits and, and things like that? Did you ever feel like that was like necessary to get into that level of it? Not only like the colognes, but you know, everyone else involved. It was in a different country. Well, it wasn't, well, you might as well say it was in a different country. So it's the, um, no, I mean, people ask, but I think because of how everything kind of went down, it would have been, it would have been a lot of money and it wouldn't have been, nothing would have been resolved. It would have just been a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of stress, and not being able to move on, and nothing would have happened. I pretty much would guarantee that nothing would have happened, like we know it didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lawless you know, down there. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, so sometimes in life you have to make decisions that are good for you because it it would have just, it would have created so much stress, so much, well, spending so much money, you know, especially when there would have been no 
what do you call it, no resolvement, you know, it wouldn't have been resolved. Yeah, yep, very, very true. And kind of just thinking back of just things that happened in his career and just kind of going back, was there ever interest for us to WWF? I think that's something that always gets brought up. Like, oh, how come, you know, WWF? Or was that something that was on his mind? Or was he just so successful everywhere else that it was almost like uh, in the back of it, way in the back of his mind, that he didn't even think about it? No, which was uh, in the old days, uh, uh, Vince McMahon Sr. used to call the house. They They had quite a few conversations together and, you know, with everything going on. He he would have ended up there eventually. That was that was the plan. Get to Japan, you know, do all the trip, you know, do all the overseas trips, and you know, you have a lifespan in wrestling because your body's going to give out at some point, especially if you keep it going. And he he didn't want to be a sixty seven year old man and putting a pair of tights on. Right. Yep. <laughs> you know, or to be involved in that. So he was he had a business plan you know he was you know as people say he was you know he was a pretty much of a businessman so the business plan was i mean let's face it if you want to know the match that everybody was wanting back in those days was hulk hogan and Bruiser brody beauty and the beast that would have been everybody that would have been the match and i think that was probably the one that was being kept because he knew that that would just explode because everybody wanted that match. Yes. That was kind of like the, the big monster that maybe Hogan didn't wrestle or, or that should have wrestled. Yeah, you're right. That is like kind of the ultimate dream match. Perfectly said, Beauty yeah. and the Beast. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast. That that was it. And we talked, and he knew that would happen one day, but it wasn't the timing. Timing is, is essential in life, as, you, as I'm sure you know, too. That timing means everything, and the timing was not right back then. Of course, things happen in life, as we know, that we don't expect. As you know, every day you you read something, you know, life gets changed, and things don't happen. But that was, that was part of the business plan, was that was going to be, that was where he would have ended up. Makes perfect sense. Obviously, at that point, it would have been Vince Jr., who I'm sure he was on him, definitely. I mean, he must have been on his radar for sure. Mm-hmm, definitely. So, but as I said, that's, can you believe it, 31 years ago now. Crazy. And it is just like, I mean, time flies by and it's 31 years, but it's just crazy that he's become more popular. So then, of course, WWE recognizes him, and then WWE puts him in the Hall of Fame. But I was kind of surprised to see that you didn't even know about it. Well, I mean, you knew about it, but you would find out about it after the fact and weren't invited. That's a really weird, weird thing to me. Like, that doesn't no, even make sense. It was funny. Somebody had put uh, the WWE, you know, Hall of Fame going into the Hall of Fame. That was the day that it happened. Somebody had put it on Facebook, I think it was. And I went, oh, it's got to be fake. You know, you know, somebody put a fake thing on. Well, as you know, it was not fake. Mm-hmm. And and what ha- and what happened? Well, the legend. What is it? The legend Hall of Fame. The legacy way. Yep. Legacy, legacy. Yep. And I, I was talking. I I went to Charlotte. There was a uh, one of these fan fests in Charlotte in August, and I met Karen McDonald, who was Wahoo's widow. And we got talking, and that keep the same thing with her. She didn't know why he went into the uh, the same legacy hall of fame that Frank went in, and none of us, both of us, were not informed. We knew nothing about it. That is so weird. It's strange. It's like why wouldn't they let the family know that hey, you know, he's being honored and he's going to be in a hall of fame? That is just. Weird, and the way you find out about it is weird. So obviously, you know, not invited to the whole thing. Very, very strange. And Wahoo McDaniel said he's a big name, also. Oof. Yes, those are two of the two of the biggest and two of the best of all time. There's no doubt about that. They say, like with Vince and the Hall of Fame, you never know, like, like you know, you know why he's picking the guy, but you don't know like his thought process. Like, he's not inviting people. He's putting them in the legacy wing and. 
oh, none of it makes sense. So you were just not flat out not invited, and you found out through the internet. I mean, that's really weird. And then, and then so it was funny talking to Karen McDonald too. It was, it was we both was like it was kind of was like a bonding. It was like a, we both went through exactly the same thing. <laughs> weird. <laughs> Now, you know, you mentioned before Abdul the Butcher and Stan Hansen and Jada Dillon, who were obviously all a part of Bruiser Brody Cup 1 in that first cup. But do you have still, you said you still have a great relationship with them and you're still oh. very friendly with them? Oh, yes. Like with uh, with Stan, Stan has always kept in touch with me. In fact, uh, Jeff used to go uh, after it happened and everything. Uh, he, he would go to Stan's. Stan's house, and they would go, go on a, you know, on a, uh, what they called it, like a uh, field trip. They'd, they'd go get in the car with the kids, and they'd go and travel and that. So, or, or he would just go up there and stay with her, Stan, and that. So Stan has always been very important to us, and has always stayed in touch from the very beginning. And JJ, and JJ, I mean, I, I love his daughter Pam, and uh, JJ is just just a good guy so you know we as I said he was back there in Australia too I met him the same time that I met uh you know met Frank so we kind of reminisce on Australia and everything and the place and everything so and I get to see him at all these events so there's a you know so yeah we stay in touch and uh usually every every event him and his daughter are there and Abby, Abby is Abby, you know, he's always mm-hmm. at the events too, so, yeah, I get to see him quite a bit too. So, yeah, there's uh, several. And another one that kept in touch, who's no longer with us either, was a spoiler. John oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Don Jardine. And uh, I'm friends with his his widow too, his, his uh, you know, like I got her, she came to the CAC this year for the first time, and I thought, and she enjoyed it because it's, you know, it's kind of like a family event. And her son is named Jeff, too. Look at that. Very cool. And it is great that those guys still stay in touch and they're still friends. It's very cool. And Stan, which I think a lot of people may forget, he knew Frank you know, for years going back to West Texas State, right? I mean, we're talking about college days. Right, yeah, that was his roommate in college. Right back then, and the you know, the West Coast Texas the uh, football playing football together. So they they go back. Well, look at all the people from West Texas State, the Funks. I mean, you named Manny. I mean, there's so many that came out of that school that are in wrestling that got into wrestling. Oh, it is crazy. Tully Blanchard, Tito Santana, and, Dusty yeah. Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he was enrolled, but I know Dick Murdoch was around that school. I don't mm-hmm. know if he was enrolled, but they say he was around that school a lot. So, so many guys. Uh, Kelly Kaniski, uh, just you're right, you're right. There's so many guys West Texas State, and that's pretty cool that Stan has uh, been a part of your life ever since. I mean, that's going back uh, quite a ways, and he's always around. Very, very cool. Right. I mean, these are, these are people that I've known for over 40, just about, you know, 40 years. Wow, boy, time goes fast. Mm. You suddenly know, don't realize until you start talking and think, well, yeah, it's a long time ago. Yeah, oof, time flies. <laughs> now, as we just head towards the, the wind down, we head towards the finish, I'm just curious, did he ever talk about some of his favorite matches and some of the favorite like opponents he had and things like that? Is that something that he talked about with you? Well, the people, Rick Flair... Uh, of course, him and Jimmy Snooker had a, a great relationship too. Uh, Buck Rosley, I mean, some of these, I don't know if you know all the names. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, Buck yeah. Rosley, yep. was, he was a big thing. And Don Jardine, of course, of course, Stan. I mean, I, you know, so, yeah, these are the ones that, and of course, the Japanese, he, and, he enjoyed like Giant Baba and Jumbo and, you know. He knew he could have, he could go out and have a great match with these people. So he talked, and he he trusted, you know what I mean? He trusted, he knew that, because all he wanted to do was to go out. It wasn't so much making money for him. He knew that make money for him, make money for the promoters, so everybody's happy. Give, give, the, 
give the fans a, a great night out because you said these are this is our livelihood. This is to bring people into the building. You want to give them a great night so they leave and they want to come back. They had such a good time. They were that they want to come back and this is what he thought more of was the fans than anything else, knowing to give them, you know, that night. So they go home and talk about it. Yeah, uh, for sure. I like that he had that, uh, not only foresight, but that he really cared about the fans because, you know, not all the wrestlers do. And and maybe he kind of got the reputation that he didn't because he was such a wild man. But what was kind of the biggest misconception about him? That he was. I, I have also taught, like I said, I am, I'm, I'm just so blessed that they came to all these uh, events, like the one coming up in Rome, Georgia, the Georgia Brady Cup too. I, you know, that is another big event. The second one, you know, this is great. And to get to meet, you know, to get to meet the fans, to get to meet and talk. And some of them have stories that they have met him as a little child in the airport and because he looked so wild they were kind of hiding behind the you know the parents because he just looked so wild back in those days and if he saw that he would come up and he would talk to them and they've often and they've actually said it that they suddenly realized at that age you can't judge a book by its cover because we sometimes take a parent's but sometimes it could be the nicest person. They might look wild, like a Frank Bruiser looked, and then he would he would like sometimes bend down and talk to them, and just that very soft voice that he had when he wasn't performing. And they remember that. And I have and I have people still message me today on Facebook saying, I I, I named my firstborn son Brandon, you know, so his legacy is absolutely incredible, John. It's, uh, you know, to me, it's even hard for me to believe sometimes the legacy that he left. And when everybody comes up and they tell me these stories, and I guess that's why the Japanese, they called him the intelligent monster. Yes. Awesome. Perfect nickname, too, for, for him. Just so cool. Mm-hmm. You know, so... And as I said, I, I'm really looking forward to coming to uh, the event. I think it's going to be a great night. And I think it's great that they're doing it in you know, conjunction with the Superstars Fan Fest, too, because that just brings more people in. So I'm, I'm hoping that those people, you know, c- come over that night. Like I said, bell time, 7.30. Come and say hello to me. I'd love to meet them. I'd love to meet anybody. I always have time. And I just love to talk to people. Great stuff. And I highly recommend High Spots, the documentary, Wrestling's Last Rebel. Highly recommend that. That is a great documentary on Bruiser Brody. But also his book, The Triumph right. and Tragedy of Wrestling's Rebel, not only with you, but with Larry Matisic, who knows a little something, you know, or did know, excuse me, uh, a lot of something about history of, of Bruiser Brody. But not only that, one of wrestling's great historians. And if there's anything that anybody that wants to sign copies, I have a few copies. They can message me, um, message me on Facebook, or come and see me, and uh, you know I'll have some to sell up there. You know when I'm up there in Rome, I feel like when I say Rome, Rome, Georgia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, if they want a copy, they can, like I said, they can message me and I, I'll sign the book or they can wait and come in uh, in April. Yes, I highly, highly, highly encourage fans to come out April 25th, Modern Vintage Wrestling, part of Gimmick Tree for Bruiser Brody Cup 2. It's going to be even bigger and better than the last one. And, of course, check out Gimmick Tree on Facebook and check out Superstars Fan Fest for further information. I mean, it's just going to be huge. It's going to be great. And if it's anything like last year with the great video packages, the great legends, and, of course, you handing out the trophy, it is going to be one special night. Barbara, thank you so much. And we hope to see everyone in Rome, Georgia, on April 25th. Yes, and one last thing. 
I am bringing uh, Bruza Brody's sister with me because she has stories that she still tells me about growing up. So wow. there's a special one. So she's going to be his sister, Gail Allison. She's going to be with me on the night. So please come down. Awesome. Nice uh, added bonus there. That is awesome. Very cool stuff. So, or, oh, so thank you. This is, this is going to be one night that hopefully they'll all remember. Yeah, and thank you so much uh, for all the time you gave us uh, today, and we'll see you at Bruiser Brody Cup 2. And looking forward to meeting you. He did well in the ring, and he did well in the administrative end of it. Yeah, he's still good. Which is, uh, I, I think a lot of us fail in the administrative end of it. Only a small percentage of professional wrestlers go on and be successful promoters announcers uh, administrators in some way only a small most of us just sort of fade do you think that might with that with what you're drawing from the the talent the athletes that you have coming into wrestling now maybe more of them have college uh, education maybe more of them uh, i would think from my observation going way well to my beginning of seeing wrestling wrestling drew uh your, your big bulky types who um, that that may have been their avenue to make a living and, and nothing else and uh, today within your case you're forced to to get a command of the business end of things especially the way you're doing it um, yeah this is the hard way you know uh, for example I can run all your equipment in that studio I used to produce the world-class TV show I booked that I booked the talent in there and produced the show uh, sat in on all the post-editing. I can run all your equipment there. Uh, if somebody pulls a mobile up there to shoot matches out of arena, like the NWF, they film a lot of places we wrestle. Well, I don't go on to last, so what do I do for three hours? I don't sit in the dressing room, I go out and sit in the truck. I listen to camera calls, you know, I, I know how to produce. Uh, that's something that I would dare say, I, I don't know if I could name three other guys in professional wrestling that are actively wrestling. I'm not talking about those that have gone on to administration. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about those that are actively wrestling that I couldn't name three other guys that know how to produce, you know, and edit and put together a show and all that. We're wrong we're for this, huh? Yeah, we've been wrong. Okay, yeah. good. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I won't, uh, I don't think you said anything there. It's um, no. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's good that anybody knows that I produced that show. Okay. All right. <laughs> you know, uh, and I don't think it's good that anybody knows that I'm Frank Goodish. Oh, no, well, I don't. I don't want to. You, I guess, 15, 20 years you've been in the business, or maybe longer. Uh, 15. And uh, what would you say, from what you've seen of? of uh, what McMahon's done in wrestling to what you see the trend being now. Uh, uh, do, do you like the direction pro wrestling is headed? Is pro wrestling as a whole healthy? And, uh, you know, just what, what in general? I think that professional wrestling is more healthy today than it's ever been in the past. There's a lot of speculation on the part of uh, some fans and some wrestlers who've been involved in professional wrestling for a number of years that it's not so healthy. Uh, if you were to ask me why is it so healthy today, I think I would begin by saying that we have a better quality of athlete. I think that's visibly noticeable to the people. They see that. Wrestlers are no longer identified as blonde and fat. In my own case, uh, I spent three years with the Washington Redskins in 1969, 70, and 71. I was an All-American high school football player. I went to school on an athletic scholarship. Now, uh, Bruiser Brody is not one of a kind in that respect. There are other guys in professional wrestling today that also were all Americans in football or wrestling or their track or their competitive sport. They also have college degrees. They're also uh, not blonde and fat. They're conditioned athletes. Um, so I think that's the first reason why professional wrestling is alive and healthy is the quality of people that make up the sport today. 
Uh, the second reason, I think, and probably the foremost reason, is that with the coming of cable TV, it gives everyone from coast to coast, all 235 million people, a chance to see wrestling throughout the whole United States. And you could either go further than that and go Europe, South Pacific, Japan. Uh, our cable network stations in this country are carried around the world. So if you wrestle for the WWF or you wrestle for the NWA or world-class wrestling out of Texas, those tapes are viewed in Italy, in Germany, in Australia, in Japan. So when you talk about the health of professional wrestling, I, I, I'd say the quality of athlete and, of course, the number of people that are looking at wrestling today. You mentioned the big fish, small fish concept earlier. A lot of the small promotions have been knocked out of business. Uh, McMahon has probably been most responsible for that more than anybody. Uh, is, it, is that good? And uh, look at the AWA. To me, it does not. It seems like a sinking ship right now. World class, same thing. UWF looked like it was going to be a major thing, and now it's kind of uh, been, it's been eaten up. Uh, as a wrestler, as somebody who can see a broader view of it than most, uh, even in your business, uh, how how do you see that? Is that is that good for wrestlers? Is it good for wrestling? Is it good for the product? Uh, I think it is good. I think what we have is a shortage of talent. You know, in professional football, one of the things that makes that a great, great game is every year there's going to be a college draft. Every year there's a couple thousand new college football players that are ready and eager to come out and play professional football. And Major League Baseball, you have a similar situation. Every year you've got a graduating class in high school and you've got a graduating class in college. And these young men are eager and they want to get into Major League Baseball. In professional wrestling, in a lot of places throughout the country, high schools don't have wrestling teams. Some college teams don't have wrestling teams. So there is a, uh, a void there. It's hard to say that every year there's going to be 2,000 qualified wrestlers just eager to get into the sport. There's not. Good wrestlers are hard to find. Well, is there a little bit of a roadblock there? Because going from college football to pro football is almost, if you have the talent, it's a natural flow. It's what's expected. It's what the individual most likely has as its goal from day one. In wrestling, there's, there's quite a difference. Uh, and so it's not as standard for somebody to move out of the college ranks and want to get into pro wrestling. It's been done, but uh, I would think the situation's a little bit different because they have to bargain for more than, uh, matter of fact, all those holds that uh, may have gotten them a collegiate championship. Uh, you do too much of that and nobody wants to see right, One thing about being a collegiate wrestler or a high school wrestler, it doesn't necessarily qualify you to be a professional wrestler. Right, right. This is what you're talking about when you're talking about college football and college baseball um, they're prepared to go into major league baseball they're prepared to go into the nfl when they come out of college they uh, have had the training they've got the fundamentals uh, got the physical tools in professional wrestling um, you can be a great great college wrestler at 175 pounds you can go to the Olympics and win the Olympics at 175 pounds. No place for him. I don't think there's a place to be a great pro at 175 pounds. That's not to in any way take away from the skill of the 175 pound Olympic champion. There's no doubt that he could hold his own against a lot, maybe a majority of professional wrestlers. But there comes a point when 175 pounds can't compete against 320 pounds day after day after week after week after month after month after year. It physically takes its toll on you. You've got to have the physical tools in professional wrestling above everything else. Without the physical tools, it's a, uh, a short, short game for you. You've had an exceptional career. Uh, you, you, uh, for as good as you are, you could do it easier well, I don't know, maybe I'm not correct in that. When I say easier, I mean avoid uh, the trips to the smaller towns where you're only wrestling 500, 700 people watching you and presumably not making as much as you would be if every night it was a Madison Square Garden or a Coliseum mm -hmm. or someplace like that. Uh, 
you you choose this route. Uh, is it more than just the Japanese contract? Uh, yeah, I think it is. Um, first of all, I've wrestled in Madison Square Garden. I know that feeling. I wrestled in the Boston Gardens. I know that feeling. I wrestled in the Cow Palace in San Francisco. I know that feeling. I wrestled in the Forum in Los Angeles. I know that feeling. But to really know professional wrestling, you got to know where its beginning was. And the beginning for professional wrestling came maybe 40, 50 or more years ago when uh, the only entertainment that came to most towns, rural towns, was the carnival. The carnival came. And one of the big things that the carnival always had was the strong man that challenged anybody in the audience to a wrestling match. And if you could beat him, you won money. That was the origin of professional wrestling. From that, it grew into uh, Madison Square Garden type wrestling. But to really know professional wrestling, to really say that you're at the top of the sport, you've got to touch people outside of New York City. You've got to touch people outside of Los Angeles. But the guys doing it for the WF, WWF can touch them by wrestling one night and their tape or the fact that they're moving around the country almost everywhere in this country. Uh, I think that anybody who's looking at me right now could attest to the fact that you can watch all of the football you want on television. All the collegiate football, all of the professional football you want. And you enjoy it. But there's no feeling like sitting in those stands and rooting for your team and jumping up and down and having your emotion in it. You can't do that on TV. When people look at Bruiser Brody on TV, they don't get near as emotional as they do as when they're sitting there at ringside. So all these people in all these rural communities, if they don't have a chance to go out there and actually touch Bruiser Brody and see him in person, he's really not at the top of his business. He can only be at the top of his business when he reaches those in New York City, those in Waxahachie, Texas, those in uh, Blueville, West Virginia, those in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. You can only be the top when all wrestling fans get to be in touch with you, and that can't be done just on TV. Would you be willing to talk about, in your case, it's especially different, how one night you're, tonight, you're, you're a fan favorite challenging for a title, and uh, a couple of few hundred or thousand miles away from here tomorrow, you could be the everybody's most dreaded nightmare trying mm. to beat their favorite. Mm. And uh, that must be a, a weird thing to adjust from one day to the next, you're, you're different people. I don't think it's a hard adjustment problem after 15 years. In the beginning, if you would go somewhere and people would, uh, let's say, choose you as the one they wanted to see beat, it might irritate you a little bit. After doing it for so many years, you find out that your business is in the ring and the fans' business is in the stands. And as a paying customer, he must have the right to choose who he wants to win. You're making his mind up by how you portray yourself. Uh, I don't think so. Um, it seems strange that I might go to a real conservative small town like Salina, Kansas, and be so acceptable with a ponytail. When every father out there is hoping that his son doesn't have a ponytail. Uh, people's emotions and people's thinkings uh, are deeper than just what they see on the outside. I think that people, uh, when they make a judgment about somebody, I think it's because they either know something personal about him or they don't know anything about him. And in my case, when I go to some parts of the country, they've been watching me for so long, they know what's inside. So it's easy for them to like me. On the other hand, I'll go to another part of the country where they only see me a few times and they'll look and they'll say, this is the kind of guy that I'm not so sure about. So they make a different type of judgment about. But if I haven't seen you before, if I see you on one night, you're forcing the issue. You're more aggressive than maybe any wrestler I've ever seen. On another night, you're letting the other guy be the aggressor for a little while and then responding, reacting to him. You're causing the action in one case, you're reacting in another. Okay, first of all, I think that everybody who's looking at me right now should understand that Bruiser Brody never let anyone do anything to him. Uh, I don't know about the other professional wrestlers. 
I only know about Bruiser Brody. And when I go in the ring, it doesn't matter whether I'm in Texas or New York, or it doesn't matter whether people like me or dislike me, I'm going to be just as aggressive every night. Now, uh, some nights it may look like I'm not aggressive. If I do this 30 nights in a row, sometimes these old legs, they don't go as good as they did 15 days ago. Sometimes physically, I don't feel good either. And sometimes my performance may not be what it was the night before. But when I do go in the ring, anybody who signs a contract to wrestle Bruiser Brody must know that he's going to be aggressive to the best of his ability. Okay. Um, I have one more thing, uh, and that is uh, you've been in the business a long time. Uh, you paid a physical price, it's obvious. Uh, is it still worth it to you? As, and from what I hear, the older you get, the more you feel all the years that you put into it. Uh, I don't know that, but I've heard that. Um, is it going to be worth it to you at age 60, do you think, or 70, to have had the career you've had and to, and to have done what you've done all this time? Sure. Uh, as I look back at this point, uh, I played three years in the NFL. I wish I could have played 15. At that particular time, when I was released by the Washington Redskins, the coaching staff and the administrators at the Reds, for the Redskins ball club thought that they had somebody who could do that job at that position better than I could do it. And that's the choice they made. So I went on into professional wrestling. As I look back over 15 years, uh, I don't say, oh, I wish I would have spent 15 years in the NFL. Certainly, I would have been grateful to have 15 years in the NFL. But I'm equally as grateful to spend 15 good years in professional wrestling. And I'm 37 today. And I think that I probably got 10 more good years left in professional wrestling. Now, if I had 15 and I had 10, I'm looking at maybe 20 or 25 years in professional wrestling. I don't think there's anybody, uh, maybe George Blanda, who can say they spent more than 20 years in the NFL. So I'm very happy with the way fate has taken its course. I didn't, didn't ever guess that I was going to be a professional wrestler. Once I started in professional wrestling, learned sort of the, uh, the ropes and the, uh, the ins and outs, if I had it to do over again, I think that I would probably even pass up my three years in the NFL and devote them to wrestling because it has been that good to me. You said something that makes me want to ask you one more thing, if you're, if you're willing to answer. And that is, a lot of it, uh, it seems a trend almost in pro wrestling. Uh, Bruno San Martino had, as, you know, seems as glorious as a career as you could have. He got out of it, and then he's back on a given night mm. wrestling for McMahon. Uh, in his case, he still, he still puts out well, he still looks good, and he still wins. But there's other guys who, uh, who were at the top, and instead of just walking away, I would think the money that they accumulated would have been enough to, to let them do that. They stay around, and they become the guy who the people are, are starting out, be, build, build their reputations on, and this guy becomes enough. And so all those kids that were watching this guy, and he was the greatest 10 years ago or whatever, and now he's just, uh, he's a preliminary wrestler and he's, he's not near what he was and all his credibility, all that he built up through that career gets mm. kind of tossed aside. Why do so many wrestlers choose to let that happen? Why don't they walk when they've hit the point where I can't do any more or I can't do it any better and the promoter's going to use me in a way I don't want to be used? Uh, that's a tough question. And I don't know if this is the right answer. But in every professional sport and perhaps every business, if everybody who reached the top in whatever their business is bowed out at the top, that particular business would suffer as an industry. What you have is evolution, is what you're talking about, evolution of an athlete, evolution of a wrestler. The only way that new wrestlers starting today can ever reach the top is they must wrestle the guys on the top. So if all the guys on the top bowed out because they got a pocket full of money or for whatever reason, then the guys down here starting out would never have the opportunity to learn what those guys on top took 20 years to learn. I don't know whether I can go from wrestling main event back to wrestling in the first match. I gotta say, I admire the guys that can do that. 
I don't know whether I can do it. But I do know this, that if that day comes, that I have to go back and wrestle in the first match and the second match, then it's my obligation, I guess you would say, to give back to professional wrestling and the new guy starting what wrestling gave to me, which was so good. Now, if I bowed out at the top and said goodbye to professional wrestling and everybody else did that, I don't really know how the guys starting out would ever get to the top. They got to wrestle against the competition in the sport. So I think that uh, it's no different than the guy who plays five or six years and he's an all-pro starting right guard for the Dallas Cowboys. And here comes a rookie into camp and he beats the guy out of a job. Now they still need this guy who was an all-pro for five or six years to back up this new man. Well, if the guy was all-pro, he just gave it up and said, well, I'm not, I'm not staying with the Cowboys no longer because I'm not first string. I don't think the Cowboys could go on and be successful. They've got to have the experienced and seasoned ball players, the ones that have gone up here and are coming down here. And they've got to have a bunch of ball players that are just starting here. And it's the same in professional wrestling. So uh, when I look at Bruno Sammartino or some of the other guys that people look at them, they say, well, they're not like they were 10 years ago. Maybe they're not. But they're probably making a bigger contribution to wrestling today than they did back then. That's a great answer. Um, is there anything you want to add while we're talking? No, I'm happy to be here. And um, I don't care about all those other wrestlers. If they don't want to come to the small towns, the rural communities, that's OK. Bruiser Brody will always come, touch the people in every community from coast to coast. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.